What's up, Bucks fans? JC Allen. I'm so excited to bring you a brand new podcast, Pirate Parlay, presented by the Sick Podcast Network. We've been in a partnership here, and we're going to bring you guys all the great stuff from this Tampa Bay Buccaneers team all season long. We'll also get into some of the not-so-great stuff, but we'll be breaking down uh, the games, previewing the games, bringing on coaches, players, uh, all sorts of fun different things throughout throughout the year. I'm super excited. I know you guys have a lot of different podcasts to go to, so happy that you guys came in, tuned in, and hopefully subscribed for what's going to be an awesome season. Today we're going to be breaking down the Buccaneers' loss to the Eagles, 25-11 to loss on Monday Night Football. There was a lot to take away from that game. Not a lot of it good, but we'll find the silver linings there. We'll talk about the injuries, talk about what went wrong, and we'll do it with my special guest, my former colleague, my my brother from another mother, Josh Capo from Pewter Reports. And come on, we're going to break everything down. So stay tuned. It's coming right up. Turn up your volume. Because you're about to listen to The Sick Podcast. Pirate Parlay. Battle intercepted, picked off in the end zone. Bucks are going to beat the Chiefs. We're the champions of the world. The sickest Tampa Bay Buccaneers podcast. It's going to be sick. Guys, so excited you're here. We're going to bring in Josh Capo here in a minute. But again, very excited for you guys to be here. My first episode of the Pirate Parlay. Not a gambling show parlay, if you remember from the great Pirates of the Caribbean movie means to talk. So we're going to do a little Buccaneers talk, a little pirate parlay here. And none, no one better to do that with my friend Josh Capo. Josh, how are you doing tonight? I'm very well, JC. How are you, bud? I'm, I'm excited to have you here, excited to be here, excited for this new podcast to launch, and excited to talk a little Bucks, even though there wasn't a lot to be excited about last night. So just jumping right into it, what was your biggest takeaway from that game? Um, was it the run game not being able to get established? Was it uh, a dominant game, the first two games getting just gashed? Was it the big plays they gave up? What For you, what was the biggest takeaway? And what were you like, yikes, this is going to be a, an issue if it keeps plaguing the Bucks this season? Yeah, I think the big thing is, like, there's a big talent gap there, right, between the Eagles and, and the Bucks, And for, for those who are, are maybe lamenting that, there's a big talent gap between the Eagles and most teams in the NFL, right? Especially in the NFC. There's only a few few teams that can kind of go position group for position group with Philadelphia. The Bucs are not one of those teams. If anybody had disillusions that they were, I think Monday night kind of showed that they're not ready to compete with that level of a roster. And for where they are in their life cycle, <clears throat> coming out of, you know, it's a post-Tom Brady world. They're paying for the the salary cap moves that they made to try and extend that window as much as they could. You shouldn't expect them to be able to go position unit for position unit with the Eagles, especially when you get you get to depth. And the Bucks' depth was tried at a couple of places on uh, on Monday night, and they were exposed in a few places. They're two and one. Yeah. Um, they beat two, two very uh, beatable teams who are, I believe, zero and six combined right now. And then they lost to the best team in the NFC from last year. That's where I had them pegged. I think that's where you had them pegged, right? Um, so it, it's a much more, it's a much bigger litmus test coming up this upcoming Sunday against the the Saints. 
Right. I think this was more of a palpable loss. Obviously, the way they lost had a lot of Bucks fans up in arms. Uh, you know, the the stadium being filled with Kelly Green and Eagles jerseys was one thing that kind of really bothered a lot of Bucks fans as well. But I, I think when you look at the situation, is the Eagles weren't playing their best football. The Bucks were coming off of two great wins against two mediocre teams at best. Um, both of them have have haven't won a game this season. Zero and six combined, like you mentioned. So. The fact that the Bucks were able to – I was really encouraged by that first couple of drives where they held them um, the stops on the goal line down there in, in the red zone um, and made them go – they went in fourth and one, and, and they made a big play. Ryan Neal with a with a uh, tackle for loss on Kenneth Gainwell to force a turnover on downs and then holding them. I thought that was good, but you could just kind of see it all kind of deteriorated after that. Uh, the Bucks' offense just couldn't get anything going. The run game was atrocious again. <laughs> Uh, I, I think the biggest problem with this Bucks team, they, they talked all offseason about we want our we want to be a run first team. We want our identity. We want to marriage the run with the past. We want to we want to have this cohesive unit and this balance. And the balance, unfortunately, just haven't had the success. And part of that is. Um, you know, the offensive line just not getting enough push up front. Part of that is Rashad White and the running backs, you know, kind of being a little too fancy back there, dancing a little bit. But for you, I mean, if you look at the situation and Bucks fans having flashbacks from last year with the first down runs, right? Nine first down runs. They had one go for 12 yards. And pretty much garbage time at the end of the game was pretty much decided. But other than that, eight of those runs went for only 19 yards. Two of them went for a loss, including the safety. One went for no gain, and it was about 2.1 yards per carry on, on, on the game on first down. In passing situations, they, were, they weren't much better, but they were better. What needs to turn around for this Bucks run game to get off the ground and going? Man, I wish there was one thing. Man, I, I'm in the middle of charting it, and I'm not fully through the game about halfway through. And... I wish I could say there's this one, at least from the Philly game, right? So leading into this game, I would say your biggest issues are Robert Haynes and the tight ends. Okay, mm. um, Both were not very good in uh, as run blockers. Um, <clears throat> but this game, at least through, I'm, I'm almost through the first half, it, it's, it's almost like they're cursed. <laughs> and as an analyst, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to use that as a, as a reason, but it's like on this play, this guy misses his block. And on this play, this guy gets tripped. And on this play, the running back only has to beat one guy, and it's a big, big run, right? right. None of it. On another play, it's like it's a really great designed run. They didn't expect the, the safety to come down on a run blitz, right? And, and he's right. the he's a, a, basically a guy without a hat on him, makes the play. It's it's one thing after another. And it's not for lack of trying. I mean, Dave Canales is, is – it's not like he's doing the same run every time. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm seeing pin and pull. I'm seeing counter. I'm seeing duo. He's, he's doing, I mean, the one thing I haven't really seen so far from this game is mid zone, right. which is the, the base system that they're supposed to be running. <laughs> um, so, so there, I think Canales has to come to terms with the fact that this unit is not a great run blocking unit. They haven't been terrible in pass protection. You can certainly scheme quicker throws. I mean, they, they did pretty well on some quick game stuff, speed out to Godwin, hitches to, to Evans, things like that. Um, I think they averaged something like 9.4 yards per play on first down when they 
passed. Right. Right. And, and it was something like 2.3 when they ran. I think they need to rethink this whole balance thing. You can still be balanced. I said this last year when uh, I was you know, very vocal that I thought Byron Leftwich was not um, was not doing a great job as offensive coordinator. You can be balanced by being successful passing the ball on first down and putting yourself A into another first down or B into second and short. Everybody talks about getting to third and manageable. Let's talk about getting to second and short. Right. Because on second and short, a three-yard run is a successful run. And if that's what you can only expect out of your your run game, then you need to make sure that you're putting yourself in positions where a three-yard run can be successful. So, um, yeah, Canales is actually running the ball on first down more than Leftwich did last year. Let's just be honest. Yes. Yeah, and, and it's one of those things where you look at it, the lack of success has fans feeling deja vu, right? And I, I think one of the most comforting things as you look at it is we're only in week three. They just placed a face the best run defense in the NFL, a team that is so stacked in the front seven that even the rotational guys are first-round draft picks, you know, with Jalen Carter. So I think you know, they'll reassess the situation. I don't imagine it's a talent issue right now, right? It, it's – you know these guys aren't in their in their right mindset. This is a, a team that was extremely excited to to run the ball more. All the offensive linemen you talk to them, they can't wait. You know a lot of these guys on paper look better as run blockers and pass blockers. It's been the difference. You go back and you mentioned Byron Leftwich and his offense last year. I, I know from just talking to these guys that dropping back sixty times a game is not something that they want to do. Um, sure. They, they they do not want to be in pass pro all game. And they do not want to be behind all game. So getting that running game going is something that they really take on themselves. And and they're going to do their best to turn it around. But as you mentioned, that balance, winning comes first, right? And if you're winning, as Bulls will even say, if you're winning by throwing the ball this many times versus running, winning is winning. Um, and that cures all problems in the NFL. So, you know, when you look at it, I don't think it's time to abandon the run. I don't think, you know, anyone should be calling for this team to stop running on first down or stop trying to establish. But you're right. I mean, you look at it nine times. They were in a situation where they were in second and long situations, second and sevens. When if you utilize that quick passing game a little bit more and, and run the ball on second down, you can be in those third and manageable and now the playbook kind of opens up. You've got those ability to take those deep shots if they're expecting the short passes, they're expecting a run on third down. You, you have so much more at your disposal than when you're sitting there at third and seven, third and eight, uh, and it kind of opens up the playbook and what Canales can do. It also starts with execution, Josh, too. These guys just did not execute well uh, last night or, or even a couple weeks prior. I know um, Rashad went at 73 yards in week two, but, I mean, I think that was more – um, of him just getting free for a few of them, then really the execution up front. Yeah, uh, I, it's I, it's everywhere. Like, and, and I think just schematically, um, your playmakers are Chris Godwin and Mike Evans. Get him the ball. You, you should be designing, like, how do we build the offense around those guys? And I don't think that that's necessarily happening. Now, that's not to say that Canales didn't have some fun concepts. There were some fun passing concepts. Bucks left a lot of um, meat on the bone in their passing game. Um, Kate Otten dropped a play-action screen. I think I screenshotted it uh, just about an hour ago. I mean, he had 
daylight and blockers and everything. I mean, that was going to be a big game. Um, Early in the game, they ran with a play action, double crosser. Devin Tompkins has got a step and a half on his corner and Baker just overthrows him. Uh, There was a deep curl to Tompkins later on third down where it looks like he, um, Baker's expecting him to break to the outside. He breaks to the inside, throws nowhere near him. Obviously, and Mike Evans too. I mean, Mike Evans had, had a couple of drops. Third down, drop, touchdown, yep. drop. Uh, I know the I know the defensive back kind of got his hand in there a little bit, but that's still a catch that Mike Evans routinely makes. He, he talked about it after the game, so then he kind of got lost in the lights. But speaking of Evans, he bounced back in that second half, got the touchdown, and another you know around sixty yards, which is still a Mike Evans esque performance, but overshadowed by the by that first half. What what? You mentioned that they need to get Mike Evans, make him the focal point. It seems like they've, they've done that as, as much as possible, as much as they, they can. But for me, the lost guy has been Godwin this season. What, what is it about Godwin that it doesn't seem like when he's called upon, he makes plays, but it's just not getting the ball enough. And what do they need to do to get him more involved in this offense? Yeah, I mean, I, I think they've got him involved. I mean, he's uh, – I don't know how many targets he ended up having against Philly. Let's see right Five targets against Philly, I think seven the week before that. Like, he's clearly the number two, um, which is a, a change from in the Arians offense, when, or left with offense, where as the slot receiver, he's the kind of the engine, right? Uh, right? Evans is the big play guy, deep shot guy, but Godwin is the guy who's kind of driving the bus. And, um, and in this offense, the X receiver is more of a volume target guy, which you're seeing with Evans. So I, I don't know if it's a lack of involvement for Godwin so much as once again, I'd say you're putting yourself into a position. If, if you think of it this way, if you run on first down and you're unsuccessful and you run on second down and you're unsuccessful, you've got one shot to throw the ball, right? And if you're not successful there, your drive is over, right? You're, you're putting, and there was a lot made of, of Baker Mayfield's efficiency on third down through the first two weeks. Um, really great video done with uh, underdog i want to say with um colt mccoy right yeah. kind of featuring like man he's been electric on third down it's not sustainable it's no. just not i mean you have some creative play calling by canales and, and mayfield was playing out of his mind but you can't expect mayfield to play out of his mind for the rest of the season right. regression hit them hard on third down uh, against philly again if you go back to changing up your play calling following a little bit more of league trends in terms of you typically get more yards when you pass the ball than you do when you run the ball over a large sample size. And if you apply that efficiently, you're going to have more opportunities to throw the ball because you're gaining more first downs per drive. And by doing that, now you're creating more opportunities to get Godwin the ball because you're just running more plays. He may have the same percentage of targets per, you know, game or, or, uh, to, targets per play, but when you run more plays, that just naturally leads to more targets for Godwin. It naturally leads to more targets for Evans. It naturally leads to more opportunities to score points. And that's what the Bucs really haven't been doing this season. Um, I know a lot of people were really excited about the offense in the first two games. That Bears score at 27 points, seven came from the defense. So you really, you've got an offense that's averaging 17 points a game through three weeks. 
Right. And, and, you know, that's under what the Buccaneers were averaging last year, the 18 and a half points. They definitely need to get up above that number. Uh, they can't rely on their defense every week. But the good news is they've got one more game or bad news, the way, depending on the way you look at it, before that bye comes. And they can self-scout and say, okay, this is what hasn't been working. This is what's working. And hopefully you see those changes and, and, and really come forth through that stretch run of 13 games throughout the to end the season. Um, potentially, you know, more if they can handle their business and go out there and win the NFC South Championship, which looks wide open at this point. Um, you've got rookie quarterbacks, guys with in- injuries. Um, it just does not look like um, it- it's going to be a strong division at all. But, you know, speaking of that defense that you talk, you, you can't rely on the defense for everything. You can't. Um, and for the first two weeks and even coming into this season, we talked about it, you know, the Bucs are going to have to rely on this defense a little bit until the offense works works its kinks out. Last night was not a good performance by the defense. Sure, they came up with two turnovers, um, but they couldn't stop the run. They were awful in tackling. Just call it what it is. They missed 17 tackles on the game, bad angles, just couldn't wrap guys up. Um, <laughs> they were just getting gashed on runs, 93 yards after contact by the running backs, Swift, Hurts, uh, and... Kenneth Gainwell, 98 yards on receivers after the catch. I think. Real quick, do you uh, mind if I interrupt you for a moment? Go ahead. Take it away. You said 93 yards after contact, right? Yes. They had 203 yards rushing. (laughs) So while 93 yards after contact. Oh, absolutely. 93 yards after contact is incredibly terrible for a defense. But what's even worse is 110 yards before contact. I mean, the holes for the size of the Manhattan Tunnel. It's crazy. And it's tough when you've got, you know, obviously Devin White's not 100%. You're missing Carlton Davis out there for a second straight week. Vita Vey is not 100% with Pickerel. They're trying to rotate guys in and keep every, you know, keep those guys fresh. Vita Vey has still played his highest amount of snaps. He's played, I think. I think in like the last two years. I mean, he had 54 snaps in that game, I believe, somewhere close to there. And that's Vita Bay is usually hovering right around 42, 43% of the plays. And they just could not get anything going. Uh, the the cornerbacks and, and the safeties. I mean, anytime you have your strong safety have 11 tackles and right up there leading your team, that's not a good sign. And again, 98 yards from receivers after the catch 73 of that came from aj brown just destroying them those aren't the numbers that are winning ball games um and you know new orleans is coming up next and and we won't get too much in we got some playmakers there and now it's looking like you're probably going to be missing your other starting cornerback dealing with a shoulder injury what's going on with this defense after two great performances the first two weeks or is that just more a competition factor and they were just simply out-talented, outclassed by this Eagles team. Yeah, I, I don't know if they had what I would consider great performances, at least not week one in Minnesota. They they were the beneficiary of turnover. turnover. And still got to make those plays. And a lot of people come in. Well, you say that, but look at Minnesota. Is, is it just so – does it just so happen that every defense happens to make plays against Minnesota? <laughs> I, I mean, look, look at it. They've turned the ball over an ungodly number of times through three weeks. 
it's not just that every deep, I mean, against the chargers, they turn the ball over. <laughs> the chargers defense is, is terrible. Right. So it, turnovers are stable on the offensive side. They're much less stable on the defensive side. So if you're going to have a defense that relies on, we're going to be great because we get turnovers. It's an, in my opinion, an unsustainable model. What you want is a great defense snap to snap. We're going to stop the run. We're going to clog passing lanes. We are going to disrupt receivers at the line of scrimmage. We're going to do these things that on a play-to-play basis is going to make it hard for the offense to do what they want to do. Right. I don't really think the Bucs did that very well in against Minnesota. Uh, against Chicago, you could say they did that. I would argue that Chicago is very good at beating themselves right now. Um, and it's not, again, not a very good litmus test. So then you go up against Philly, which is a, a legit offense. And you see that the defense isn't as, it's not in the same stratosphere as the 49ers or the Steelers or the Browns who may be creating a whole new stratosphere this year. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, it's not there with those teams. Defense from year to year is not a very um, stable you know, way to project right. your team. You can talk about all these teams that you know go really far in the, the playoffs because they have great defenses. In the last four or five years, show me one team that had a great defense but not a good offense that went deep in the playoffs. Like maybe the defense is that thing that puts you over the edge, but it's really offense that gets you to the dance. Um, so if you're going to say that the Bucs are going to have to rely on their defense this year, the Jets have a great defense, and when they lost their quarterback and can't play offense anymore, they they lose. <laughs> it's just it, it it's most likely not going to be successful. The offense has to get going, and this team will go as their offense goes. So what's what's the fix for for both sides of the ball? What 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 do you think that they can immediately do? I mean, is it is it um, obviously the injury bugs come around and hit the defense? Not a lot of depth on that defense. As far as the offensive side, what have you seen from Canales um, that gives you encouragement that, and again, this Bucks team, I don't think anyone, you know, especially not national media, but even us guys who locally cover them, no one penciled them in as Super Bowl favorites. Maybe the NFC South Division Championship, maybe top of the rung, a wild card weekend upset. That's about the, the highest of high ceilings for this Bucks team. Sure. But yeah. how do they get there? Uh. So uh, on the offensive side, I think Canales needs to rethink his first down strategy. Um, I like a lot of the things that he's doing in terms of play design, concepts, things like that. You're seeing guys open way more than they were last year. And he's creating space for them on a lot of these things, crossers, digs, stuff like that. He's putting linebackers and safeties into conflict. So it's not all doom and gloom, and I don't want it to seem like that. Um, so I think if he can rethink his first down strategy and maybe lean heavier into passing on first down to set him up for better second and third downs or avoid third down altogether, um, I think that you can see an improvement on the offensive side. I think um, better execution from some of the playmakers. Uh, again, Baker missing Tompkins. Um, on a couple different throws, uh, Auten dropping the screen, Evans, you know, drops. If if those don't, let's say 75% of those don't happen, which are just mental errors for the most part, 
that, that offense probably looks a lot better yesterday. Um, right. So I think those are two of the big things. And, and like I said, kind of redefining what success looks like from a running standpoint. Canales said uh, in a press conference a couple weeks ago that he defines it as four, four yard run or more. And that really lacks context because he got a nine yard gain on a run on second and 17 against, I think it was the bears. Right. And uh, okay. You're in third and eight. Like that's not a successful run. <laughs> you got double the yardage that you wanted. Um, but you know, the flip side of that on, you know, second and two or third and two, you get a three yard run. You've reset the downs. That's a successful run. Okay. All right. So I think that's the offensive side, the defensive side, they just got to get healthy. Like, I, that that's the right. biggest thing they've got to get healthy you, you're you've got injuries along the defensive line especially on the interior at this point you're relying on will golston and greg Gaines to be your pass rushers you're giving way too many steps to logan hall who continues to just not be it right. um then on the back end you're 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 number three corners now you're number one right d delaney i i'm a big delaney guy like but he's your two like who if either him or McCollum go down, Derek Pitts Jr. is now, I mean, Derek Pitts Jr. lined up against A.J. Brown a bunch <laughs> at, towards the end of that game, and it didn't look good for him, right? Yeah. And and that's no fault of Derek Pitts Jr. He's not in the same league as A.J. Brown. Um, he barely so, made the team. He's probably the 53rd guy on the roster. Possibly, yeah. So, so they, they got to get healthy. And that's where I think it doesn't get enough. It's not spoken about enough, but the NFL is a league of attrition. Typically, the best teams at the end of the year are the ones that are the healthiest. You saw it in the NFC Championship game. The the 49ers were going blow for blow with the Eagles till they lost Brock Purdy and Josh Johnson. And, right. and obviously, Garoppolo was already out at that point. You know, they were talking about putting Christian McCaffrey in a quarterback, and that's when <laughs> the Eagles finally separated themselves. It's a, a, a war of attrition, and right now the Bucks are losing. Yeah, especially on that defensive side of the ball. They've got to get healthy. Um, luckily, they haven't had any injuries on the offensive side of the ball. Tackle, wide receiver is really somewhere. One. Like, yeah. One. One kind of big one. Uh, prior to the season. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Obviously, Ryan Jensen, Russell Gage, huge injuries. I had two. They haven't had, had any big injuries, but the attrition there, too. If, they get, if one of these tackles goes down, if Godwin or Evans goes down, they are in big trouble. Um, even the tight ends, I mean, to be honest with you, and and even just all over the field, really. They are just very, very shallow other than the interior line. And right now the interior line hasn't been anything to write home about. So they have definitely be, definitely have to make sure they're staying healthy. It's tough. Florida's hot, crampy, hamstring. It, weather comes up all the time. But before we get you out of here, we'll have to talk about the other facet of the game, your favorite facet of the game. And that's We're about to talk about teams? We're about to talk about teams. We're about to talk Let's about, talk about Camarda. Your guy developed your own statistic to measure Jake Camarda <laughs> and his success as a punter. Um, and then obviously ago, buddy. <laughs> we'll have to we'll have to touch on just two weeks looked really good. This week, the special teams coverage unit just fell apart. What I theory about there? that? I yeah, would I love to hear your theory. Tell me. Uh, Zion McCollum had to move to um, starting corner. And I I haven't looked at the special teams tape yet, but I'm pretty sure he wasn't out as a gunner. And um, that week one against Minnesota, and, and um, I mean, McCollum was the guy who was all over 
the, the back end of those punts. Um, so I think that that had a big thing to do with it. And this is the kind of the unspoken about issues with depth and when injuries occur is when you start elevating guys who are teams players to the starting lineup, they don't play as much teams. You're bringing other guys in who are the back of the roster guys who are going to play teams in order for those guys to get a rest. So with, without McCollum down there, I think it was Derek Pitts actually, who was, who was running gunner in yeah. place of McCollum. Um, they weren't able to cover up a couple. And despite that, I mean, uh, Kamara put two of his four punts inside the 20. He had a 74 yarder. I want to say an average, yeah. something like 50, 54 and a half yards, 57, 57 and a half and yards half per yards. punt. Yeah. So um, it, that tells right you two now, things. Number one, yeah, it tells you two things. Number one, dude's got a leg, right? Uh, it also tells you that the Bucks were often punting from deep in their own zone, which is not good. This yeah. is not to panic. He said not to panic. You, you would love to see a 50% in the 20 rate with an average of 38 yards per punt means the offense was a bit more successful. Right, exactly. So, you know, I, I, th- I think he's, I mean, you called it potential Pro Bowl year. Right now, he's already a special team player of the week. He's, he's keep coming. Hopefully, though, we'll see shorter punts, which means the Bucks just stalled out a little bit closer to the end zone that they're supposed to be scoring in and not backed up. I got to call, ask you real quick before we get out of here. That first down run play backed up on your one-yard line. Shad White gets nailed for a safety. When you were watching that, what was your immediate reaction to that play call and to that just series of events right there? Great interception by Dita Laney, too. Yeah, you know, I'm not going to blame play call um, because in that situation, you're not giving your quarterback much room to work with if you if you call it a, a, a pass play, right? You're, you're not going to go under center with a pass play. Um too much can go wrong. So you could go shotgun, but then you run your risk of running an Orlovsky, right? You know, like you're already in shotgun, taking that snap from the one. You're what Gardner Minshew now. Yeah. Yeah. You got two <laughs> yards of room behind you. There's just too much. There. And that's always going to be a run. But at the same time, all, I, there was a significantly huh? greater than non zero chance that that safety was going to occur. And I think a lot of people saw it coming. And, and it was it was kind of inevitable. Yeah, it, it was tough. I don't even know if you did a toss or a pitch, if it would have made a difference, just the way that defensive front seven was playing. Josh, I want to thank you so much for coming on the inaugural episode of Pirate Parlay. We'll have you on a bunch more. Your analysis is always great. Uh, if you guys aren't following him, make sure you follow him at Josh Capo on Twitter. All of his work over at Pewter Report. He posts great game breakdowns, film analysis. Uh, he's also the guru for caps. So if you can't get in touch with any of the big guys, you know, and you got cap questions, Josh is always there slide on into his dms but josh thanks again so much for coming on to the inaugural edition of pirate parlay here at the sick podcast network i appreciate it man thanks for having me on absolutely talk to you later so guys that's it we're gonna wrap this show up here breaking down last week's game we'll do this every week we'll break down the game that was we'll get some guests on i'll be on talking myself We'll also have a game previews coming up here soon. Maybe we'll get someone from behind enemy lines coming in here, breaking stuff down. 
We'll get some other reporters and stuff like that in here. And myself, of course, will be here. Uh, if you guys have any questions or anything like that, feel free to shoot uh, uh, Twitter, you know, messages on Twitter or anything at our DMs. I'll try to get any of your questions you have answered on the show live. I want to thank everyone for tuning in. Make sure you guys like and subscribe to these videos. This has been an edition of the Pirate Parlay here at the Sick Podcast Network. Peace. And that's a wrap. Hope you don't miss us too much until next time. Follow the Sick Podcast Pirate Parlay on YouTube, Facebook, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts.